This way, uh, living within the economy of God. Living within the economy of God. What, what is the Jesus way? I mean, Jesus came pronouncing and proclaiming and bringing a kingdom. But we don't live with kings and queens anymore. We, we live in economies. There's a, a virus that happens in Wuhan and it shakes the world's economies. The markets begin to jitter and everything's connected. We don't think about kingdoms and kings and queens, but we do think about economies. And so a kingdom is kind of like an economy. Economies that shape and characterize and move what we experience in our world together. And when Jesus came, he began talking about the economy, if you like, of God. And over this last term, this, this, this term and, and um, up until after Easter, we're going to be looking at the good news account of Luke and his description of what the economy of God or the kingdom of God looks like. And, and it's no surprise that Luke talks in economic terms and he talks about power and structures and kings and queens. And it's real and it's alive and it's challenging. You see, the story of Idi Amin is such that in the 1970s, as a military officer, he rose to power. They expected great things about this king, this kingdom, this new economy that was going to build roads and establish things, and it was going to be amazing. And yet, only a few years afterwards, they referred to him as the butcher of Uganda. Up to 100 to half a million, 100,000 to half a million people, they said, lost their lives under his regime. You see, in this world in which we live, and Jesus was very much aware of it, there are winners and losers. There are those with power and those without power. And when he came talking about a kingdom, he came talking about a transformation of heaven and earth because God just doesn't love people as souls. He loves them as holes made in his image. And so his kingdom was bearing down here on earth. Perhaps for you, Idi Amin is a distant sort of idea of what power is all about. So perhaps have a look at this different way of viewing it. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants you here. Go and give it to him. You're going to cry. Go give on, it. cry. <laughs> cry. Cry, 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 cry. Stop it. powerful, isn't it? The idea of political forces and kingdoms of brutality might be far away from our relative shores of peace here in Australia, but yet in the playground, in our workspaces, in our communities, those powers are equally at work around us. Who are the winners and losers in our world? Who gets to win? Is Jesus' kingdom any different? Because when Jesus came, he brought the good news that the economy of God was arriving. And it was good news for the poor. It was good news for the oppressed. It was good news for those who are on the lower end of the margins. And that's what we are talking about this term. So if you'd like to join with me and follow with me um, in the text today, what I'd love you to do is if you have an iOS device, you can go ahead and look up the Luke chapter 16. Someone told me this week, they said, you know what? When you say iOS, you know that you're alienating half of the room. 
I said, I had no idea. I said, what do you mean? He goes, but you know, that's just an operating system for Apple. And I went, no, is that right? He goes, yeah. So when you're doing that, you are alienating all the people who have a really bad second class poor Android system. He said, did you know that? And I said, I had no idea. So if you have an iOS device, you can look up. And if you have an Android, you can join us with this as well. Luke chapter 16, verses 17 to 36. Just if you'd like to look it up or maybe have a Bible with you, you can just thumb through the pages and find Luke chapter 6 because I want to talk about what is the good news of the kingdom of heaven when it comes to earth. And this is what Jesus says. He spent a night in prayer. He's been on a mountainside. He's been praying to his father and he's selected 12. This is a new Israel. This is a new Exodus. Something is happening And it says that Jesus comes down from the mountain with his 12 right-hand people. And it says that the power of God is at work in his life and people who are tormented by evil spirits or they have physical disabilities and sicknesses, he cures them. He says the power was emanating of the spirit, was emanating through him and he was restoring them. And then within that context, when he looks around at the crowds that have gathered, he writes these words. He lifted up his eyes and looked at his disciples and said, Blessings on the poor. God's kingdom belongs to you. Blessings or blessed are those who are hungry today. You'll have a fast. Feast. Whoa. Man, am I slightly off my game today? Blessings on those who weep today. You'll be laughing. You could just imagine the group and the the crowd that's gathered around, scratching their heads and saying, what on earth are you talking about? You see, we live in a world that's characterized in the opposite way. These are the losers in our world. The winners are, blessed are the, the rich. Blessed are those with influence. Blessed are the powerful. Blessed are those who have an education. Blessed are those who live in a Western democracy. Blessed are those who are male. Blessed are those who maybe are whites. Blessed are those who have. Because you get a whole bunch of choices. Now, world is characterized as winners and losers. And Jesus, looking at the poor and the hungry and the weep, he says, I want to tell you, That you're blessed not because of your status of being poor or hungry or you weep and cry over the injustice and the oppression that is around you. But that my Father in heaven hasn't forgotten you. You're welcome in his life and his kingdom as well. He presses further and goes on and says this, Blessings on you when people hate you and shut you out and they slander you and reject your name as if it was evil because of the Son of Man a reference to himself. Celebrate on that day, jump for joy. Don't you see in heaven there is a great reward for you? That's what their ancestors did to the prophets. Jesus is saying to them, I want to talk to you about a new kingdom, a new economy, a new way. And when this new way and this new economy comes here on earth, those who are the winners right now won't like it. And they will look at you and they say, if you follow this Jesus person, you'll be throwing your life away. But Jesus begs to differ. He said, if you follow me, you'll be finding your life. But my life that I offer is radically different from the winners and the losers, the kingdoms of this earth and what characterizes them. 
In fact, if you follow me, there'll be people who point at you and say, you're a loser. There'll be some people who will point at you and say, we are threatened by the kind of kingdom that you are bringing and we will, if we must, even push you aside and eliminate you because when Jesus' kingdom comes, it challenges all of the other kingdoms and economies and powers of this earth. He said that's what happened to the other prophets when they came speaking in my father's name. They were pushed aside and beaten and even killed themselves because they came proclaiming another way. So he presses on and he says this, to the world in which they live, the the world of winners, he says, but woe betide you rich, You've had your comfort. Woe betide you if you are full today, you'll go hungry. Woe betide you if you are laughing today, you'll be mourning and weeping. And woe betide you when everyone speaks well of you because you will just be like everyone else in this world. You won't be any different. You will be mimicking and replicating the kingdoms of this earth and you'll fit in just nicely. You see, some people will look at these words and they'll say, well, does that mean you can't be rich and follow Jesus? No, that would be a simple overestimation. You see, even Jesus' entourage was filled with ladies who were wealthy and it says that they would contribute finances and money to his ministry. Does that mean I need to be poor in in order to actually be welcomed into God's kingdom? No, that would be a a superficial, shallow way of just saying, really, if you're poor, then, then I get to be with God or God loves me. But no, it just seems as though within God's economy, when he looks at the kingdoms of this earth, he has a certain heart and proclivity to those who are at the bottom, those who are at the margins, those who have less power. Because he came proclaiming a new kind of way, a new kind of kingdom. He presses on and he says, pause. Just at the moment in which everyone who is hearing his words, you could imagine... Start shouting and cheering just like did with Idi Amin in that clip. You can imagine them saying, hey, this is the time now. Jesus is calling for a new revolution. You can imagine them picking up rocks, taking up arms, starting to stamp their feet. Jesus is saying, woe betide the rich, the fool, the laughing. He's calling for an uprising. He's calling for an overthrow. The Romans are the oppressors. Let's go and get them. Hmm? He comes back with these words. But this is my word. For those of you who are listening, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to do good to people who hate you. I want you to bless people who curse you. I want you to pray for people who treat you badly. Whoa. You can imagine right there amongst the crowds, the group as they've been fermenting and fomenting about ways in which they could now be the next new wave of uprising 
Now with jaws dropping and rocks thudding to the ground, they scratch their heads and they say, Jesus, what on earth are you on about? You want me to love an enemy? You want me to do good to people who hate us, even the Romans? You want me to bless people who might curse me? You want me to pray for people who treat me badly? What kind of kingdom are you on about? Jesus presses on even further. He says, I tell you this, this is what loving and praying and blessing might look like. If someone hits you on the cheek, offer him the other one. If someone takes your coat away, don't stop him taking your shirt as well. Give to everyone who asks you and don't ask for things back when people have taken them from you. Wow, is anyone challenged right now? You see, what I don't think Jesus is offering here is a new technique or way of doing anti-violent protests. If you turn the cheek and it's slapped on one side, then turn the other one. It's a way of non-violent form of protest. Some people have seen that in this action. I think Jesus is pressing it far, far deeper. You see, he understands the way in which the kingdoms of this world, the economies operate, in which power oozes from people and the proclivity that you and I have to want to repay evil with evil. And Jesus understands that if he's to do that and you're to do that, all you'll be doing is manifesting the same kind of economy and kingdom that has characterized and brutalized our world since human beings arrived. So he uses, if you like, forceful hyperbole, but even more real, not just a metaphor. If someone hits you on the cheek, offer the other one. I'd prefer you to do that than repay with striking them back and repaying them in like. If someone takes your coat by force, I would rather you let them have your coat then you would forcefully back get into a fight and you know where those things end up. When you say, Troy, people might walk all over me like a doormat. Well, maybe. People might take advantage of me. Well, possibly. But Jesus is saying, if you repay in the same way that you have been treated, then can you imagine the kind of world that I would be building? It's a beautiful throwaway line in the very dark, satirical comedy, Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing. If anyone's seen it, wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but there's a profound scene in it. Someone's characterized it as that American parable about sexual violence, police brutality, and racism. And right there in the middle of this film, the, the writer has placed the most profound words on the simplest, youngest, if you like, bimbo person in the entire movie set. You see, there's a husband and wife and they've been divorced. They find themselves in the same restaurant, except for the husband now, the former husband, has a 19-year-old girlfriend. And the wife's there and she is so angry. She's the protagonist in the movie. She's so angry, she picks up her bottle of wine and she's walking over to hit him and strike him. And out of the mouth of this young babe comes the words, you know, I read somewhere that anger 
only begets more anger. I heard somewhere that anger only begets more anger. The lady puts down the bottle. Things simmer for a moment and the movie moves on. You see, the editor and the writer is reaching for the words of Jesus. The most profoundest moment, subversive moment in that film is where she utters the words of another way. It's true. So rather than repay, why not turn? Rather than when someone's taken by force, why not just let them have it? He goes on, he says, give to everyone who asks of you and don't ask for things back when people have taken them. Jesus isn't saying here, if your next door neighbor has borrowed your lawnmower and he's forgotten to return it, you can't go and ask for it back. (laughs) But what he is saying is that when you see people who are genuinely poor and needy and you have, give them as though you don't expect anything in return. When I was looking at these words, I was transported back in my mind to when I was a young teenager I remember being on holiday and I had found a wallet in a river. It was sitting on the bottom. I picked it up, I showed it to my grandparents and they dutifully took it down to the police station. There was no ID in the wallet, I'd got rid of that. Um, And so they couldn't identify anyone with it, no, it was just, there's no ID in there. And they took it to the police station, come on now everyone, lighten up a little bit. (laughs) Whew! Man, that minister of yours, he's, he's suspect. And so they took it down to the police station and they, um, they said, look, we've found this wallet and, and there was $20 in it. Now, back in that time, $20 for a young adolescent was like a million bucks. And so they went down there and they gave it and they just said, look, if anyone comes to collect it, here it is. And well, no one did. After a week, the police uh, officer said, here, you can just have it back. So I got 20 bucks. My nan took us out and all my cousins and my brothers... And uh, she saw uh, this like ice cream stand. And, and she turned to me and she said, well, you've, you've got some money. You've got $20. You found it. So give us your $20. And, and everyone, your kids, just go and buy what you want. Just go and get an ice cream. And I remember in that moment as a young kid just going, oh, excuse me, that, that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's my money. And I remember as they're all lining up and they're picking the ice cream that they want, they're taking their time. I mean, it stirred in me and stirred in me such to the effect that I started to get so angry and upset that I started to cry. My nan, she looks to me, she goes, what are you crying for? I said, well, they're spending my money. She goes, she's just so selfish. Why don't you just lend them your 20 bucks? They can have whatever. And they, they came back and she goes, see, and they put the change in my hand. See, you've still got money left over for you. And I realized as I was reading these words that it's in me too. Even from a young age, this idea of those who have and those who don't and we want to keep the stuff for us because give to anyone who asks of you and I had plenty to spare and left over. But it's yet what characterizes us in the kingdoms of this earth, self-interest and greed. So Jesus pushes and he says this, whatever you want people to do to you, do that to them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Think about it. Even sinners, even people on the edge of the margins that you think are far from God, they love people who love them. That is, they give to people who give to them. I want you to be different. 
So he says this. No, love your enemies. Do good and lend without expecting any return. Your reward will be great. You'll be children of the highest. You see, he's generous to the stingy and the wicked. He lets his rain fall on the people with power and those without, those who oppress and those. He lets the sun shine. But I want you to be merciful because that's what God is like. Powerful words, aren't they? Strike us to the core, don't they? You see, because if you're here this morning and you think, okay, I can just do that. I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to do that. We're kidding ourselves, aren't we? Really? See, if you say to me, Troy, this is absolutely, totally, irresistibly impossible, then I would say back to you, well done. You're halfway there. The other half is this. Jesus... Bring your kingdom in me because I cannot do it myself. I'm going to have the band come up in a moment. I'm going to have a moment of reflection. But you see, these are the very words that Jesus embodied himself. For a number of people all over this globe this last week on Wednesday... Jesus' followers all throughout the globe in some traditions celebrate what we know as Ash Wednesday. You take some ashes, you place them on your forehead, you set aside 40 days in which you prepare, go without, in order to prepare for what Jesus was and is going to do at Easter. And if I remember correctly, when Jesus hung on a cross just before it, they stripped him of his shirt. They slapped him on his cheek. And he uttered the most profound words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You see, when the kingdom of God, when the economy of Jesus breaks into the hearts and minds of human beings, it transforms them, their hearts, their minds, their hands, their bodies, everything. They have a metanoia. They have a transformation. And the Spirit does it in their lives such that they don't see these as a new set of rules to live by, but something that's transpired in their heart that flows out of. John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but he is going to baptize you with the Spirit. Because the Spirit is that which softens people's hearts, transforms their minds so that you can live the kingdom. My Father's way. Jewish people held this idea that the earth will be filled one day with the knowledge of the glory of God just as the waters cover the sea. That the two spheres, heaven and on earth, would come together and God would reign supreme, banishing all of 
the would-be bullies, banishing all of the powers that come against, all evil, all suffering. Oh, were those people welcome? Yes, they are, but they have to leave those other things at the door. Or else his kingdom will be just the same as everyone else's. The truth is, we all need a forgiving. We all need a cleansing. We all need an empowering that only comes from God and you enter into the river of his kingdom when you and I bend our knees. We say, you are who you are and you have given more than I can imagine. Would you forgive me a sinner? Would you fill me with your presence so that I might live your way? So Peter is going to sing a song that has everything to do with repositioning Jesus as being the center. Because so often when we get caught up in the kingdoms of this earth, we can lose our center, be choked and pulled and pushed so that we reflect more like the kingdoms of this earth than the kingdom of God. Maybe you're here this morning and Jesus is fresh and new to you. But you hear in these words the most profoundest truth. His kingdom is inviting you as well. Come, bend your knee. He's good. Ask him into your life. Surrender your will. And he will send his spirit. So let me ask you. Have you been holding on to anger this week? Have you been holding on to revenge, unforgiveness, greed? Have you been the bully? Come before him. Ask him to transform your hands and your heart and your mind so that you might be a kingdom bringer to transform this earth until he comes again. So as you hear these words, some of you might want to close your eyes. Some of you might want to open your hands. Some of you might want to do some confessing. Some of you might do some praising. But would you place Jesus in the center and come back to him and ask him to profoundly work in you for his good.